What's up, skeptics? Welcome to another episode of Reason to Doubt, your source for all things skeptical. I am Jordan, joined with Jared, as always. And we have a special guest today, Dr. Dan Stern-Cardinell, all the way up from sunny New Jersey. How's it going, Dan? It's sunnier today than it was three days ago. Right. You, you've spent the whole like past week baked in like like smog, like you're in a Fallout I'm, game or something, Yeah. Right? So uh, <laughs> in terms of my geography, I'm not far from New York City. So if you saw those fun time lapses that made New York City look like Mars, I got to experience that. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. It's been well, an interesting uh, week. <laughs> I, I'm sure most people watching this have seen your channel, but in case anybody hasn't, why don't you briefly introduce yourself? Yeah. Hi, uh, my name is Dan. I'm an evolutionary biologist and I have a channel called Creation Myths. And the thing that I do is I take the claims of creation science. So like the scientific claims made by credentialed creationists, the arguments that they make to try to show that a literal creation in whatever form, young earth, old earth, intelligent design, whatever flavor it is, uh, basically I examine the scientific arguments for that and show why they're all nonsense. So I'll take like a very specific claim, like irreducible complexity or genetic entropy, and we'll take 10 or 20 minutes and break it down. I also uh, interview, uh, I've interviewed scientists, and I've interviewed creationists, uh, including some of the professionals who uh, I can't believe I've gotten to talk to some of the actual professional creationists. So uh, it's, an inter it's an interesting thing. And if you like uh, creationism debunking uh, that is mostly genetics oriented, uh, come say hi. That's what I do. Uh, it's an extremely good channel. I am the world's biggest idiot when it comes to biology, and I can usually follow along. So Dan does a really good job of communicating science to a layman, unlike other people that we might mention, possibly just look at previous videos if you want to know my opinion on that. Uh, moving right along. So today, uh, we brought Dan in as a biologist because we're going to be talking about something related to biology, specifically uh, the sex of creatures, these creatures, primates, uh, and why it's not binary, why it is better thought of as uh, being on some sort of spectrum, contrary to perhaps popular belief. And uh, if you've been following along in the news at all in the past few years, you might be aware that some people are extremely passionate about the idea that there are men, there are women, and never the twain shall meet. And usually it's defined, they'll say things like, uh, well, men have xy chromosomes and women have xx and there's no overlap and then you say well what about this and then well you know <laughs> that it gets you know immediately yeah. <laughs> uh so we thought it might be good to get even though this isn't dan's exact area of expertise he's still far more knowledgeable about it than both of us so uh we'd like to get him to talk about it uh just some clarifications before we dive right in um when we're talking about people who don't ambiguously uh, or unambiguously fit with a male or female uh, term for that is intersex. And that is not the same as someone who's trans. They could be trans, but it's not the same, you know, gender and sex are two different things. Um, obviously highly correlated, but not the same. Okay. So don't get twisted. We're not talking specifically about gender. At least if we are, we'll make sure to clarify. Um, but the reason it's, it's relevant is because many people who are in opposition to trans rights, usually also hold this kind of line and use it as an argument for it. And since it's Pride Month, I thought that, you know, what better than three straight white dudes to come and talk about it, right? Perfect. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Mm -hmm. Well, we can be allies anyway. Yes. Uh, so why don't we start at the top, since we're saying the claim we're kind of examining is that uh, sex is binary and it's only male and female. So what do we mean by binary? So binary is where you have A or B, and that's it. 
everything, every, you have two sets of things and every member of the species, population, whatever it is you're looking at fits into one of those two boxes. And I will say, uh, let me start off by reiterating something that you said a minute ago, which is I'm a biologist, but this is not my specialty. Uh, I talk about this stuff in a couple of my classes because it comes up. You talk about genetics, evolution, sex, and sex determination. It comes up. It is not my area of expertise. I want to emphasize that. So I want to encourage everybody who watches this to check everything I say uh, because there are actual experts in this specific thing that will do a better job explaining it than I will. Uh, more detail, more precision. So just, I encourage you to just keep looking into these things. This is, uh, I hope, going to be a good introduction to these concepts, uh, but it is not going to be, uh, you know, the, 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 the end of your study, I hope. So let me start what there. We, yeah. <laughs> what we often hear is that, oh, this is just simple biology. And it's almost always people who are not biologists saying <laughs> yeah. that, Oh man. you know? And then it seems like the more educated you talk to someone who's like the the more educated they are in biology, the more like that. That's kind of a complex question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, um, it, <laughs> so like, is sex binary? You have to define binary, right? Two boxes, everything fits into one of the two boxes with no exceptions. Uh, binary with exceptions is also called not uh, binary. binary. That's what, right, right, that's, right. that's then, okay, then that's not what it is. Um, and then the other thing is, uh, of course, what if we're saying sex is binary, then like, well, what is sex? And that question, uh, like biologically is, man, how much time do we have? <laughs> because there are so many ways to answer that question and so many dimensions to it. Uh, one of the phrases that I hear all the time that for me is just like nails on a chalkboard is the phrase biological sex. Um, because man, that is not a thing. It is really a lot more complicated than just pick a determining factor and identify that factor, and you have your answer. Well, I thought it was all gametes, right? Just oh, yeah. No. Sperm, right? No, so, That's all it is. <laughs> so, because you have to, you, you always hear this thing, right? Of like, there are two sexes, you need male, you need female to reproduce, and that's how we define them, whether it's, it's uh, morphology or chromosomes or gametes or whatever you need, right? It's the two. Um, but like going back in the evolutionary history of sexual reproduction, you don't have male and female at the start. At the start, you just had everybody's the same and everybody can mate with everybody else. And then you get mating types where there are genetic and, and um, like biochemical distinctions. So certain individuals are incompatible with others. And the, the benefit to doing it that way is you don't mate with close relatives. So someone who is the same mating type is likely going to be similar in other ways genetically. So that by excluding those individuals, you maximize the amount of genetic variation that you're generating through sexual reproduction. So you look at fungi, they can have anywhere from two to dozens or even hundreds of mating types within a single species. A lot of algae do it that way too, where individuals make gametes and it comes down to mating type rather than sex because the gametes are all the same, right? So even just starting with like the basics of sexual reproduction, it's not about male and female. That's not how it works in, I don't want to say the majority of species that do it because I'm not sure exactly what that, where that kind of boundary is, but a lot of the species that do sexual reproduction don't have sex the way people want to define it. You mean there wasn't an Adam 
algae and like <laughs> Eve algae. <laughs> God made two of. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Okay, For some of them, so... there would have to be a hundred of them <laughs> or a thousand. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we've talked about binary. Uh, here's an example. What I thought we, it might be helpful to kind of just use the framing of some of the people who promote this view. And we can kind of take that and then take tangents as applicable to cover whatever we need to cover. So one example of an organization that's kind of representative of the talking points I hear is Stand to Reason, which is a Christian apologetics group. Greg Kukul. Kukul? Kukul? I don't know. However you say it. That guy. You guys know who that he guy. is. That guy. His organization, uh, they start their article on this by saying, Males have one X and one Y chromosome, XY, while females have two X chromosomes, XX. The Y chromosome contains a male-determining gene called the SRY gene. It signals to the developing human embryo to create a penis and testicles. I'm actually impressed they put those words in there because a lot of times Christians get very squeamish about... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't want to say the words. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Anyway, without an SRY gene, the embryo develops a vagina and ovaries. This has been understood since its discovery by biologist Nettie Stevens in 1905. So that is their intro to like, this is what sex is. Uh, I, so there are two, like right off the bat, there are two extremely common genetic variations that occur in humans that refute that straight up. And uh, it's, it's uh, two different types of aneuploidy, which is when you have uh, an atypical number of chromosomes. So like any trisomy where you have three of a chromosome, that's an aneuploidy. So like trisomy 21 is a very common aneuploidy. Uh, even more common than that are what are called sex chromosome aneuploidies. Things like uh, XO, which is Turner syndrome, uh, XXY, which is Klinefelter syndrome, uh, XXX doesn't have a name, extremely common. XYY doesn't have a name, extremely common. You can even have four X's or even five X chromosomes, I think, have been documented. These are all like just a normal part of human genetic stuff that happens uh and many individuals with those various chromosomal states identify as either male or female and like biologically by whatever standard you would want to use they clearly fall into the category of male or female uh so we can't reduce it just to xx versus xy it's just not possible there are millions of humans on the planet that don't have those chromosomes uh, so clearly it's not just down to that. So, okay, well, if it's not chromosomes, <laughs> then uh, what about gametes? Like if they okay. make sperm, they're a guy, and if they make eggs, they're a woman. Now that is the kind of most reductionist biological definition you can use, right? Because the, the definition going, again, going back to like non-human things, right? You go back to like algae or some other stuff. The point where you have male versus female is actually differentiated gametes. So do you make very few, very large gametes? Female. Do you make a lot of very small gametes, usually motile? Male, right? And that's just, the that's the Just for the audience, can you describe the, uh, briefly what a gamete is? Oh yeah, sure. So a gamete is a reproductive cell or a sex cell. And usually, not always, but usually gametes are going to have half of the genetic material of the adult. So like humans, we're what you call diploid. We have two complete sets of chromosomes in our cells. And then when humans make egg and sperm, they go through a process called meiosis uh, that reduces it. So you only have one set in the gamete, the egg or the sperm. So then when they fuse in fertilization, it goes back up 
to having two full sets and that diploid cell can then grow into an adult. And the way that works is the gene like literally splits down the middle like a zipper, right? It, That's... Yeah, like, yeah, right. <laughs> it, it unzips and then they, yeah, no, it doesn't work like that. Don't listen to our friend Kent uh, Hovind Ken try to explain how that works. It doesn't work the way he says. <laughs> Cannot okay. believe that man said that out loud. <laughs> Yeah, the, with but full throated. Like I'll give Just I'll give him one going. thing and one thing only. He commits to every bit. Committed. <laughs> He's committed. Uh, okay. Yeah. So those are gametes, and that is the technical definition at its most like simplest reductionist state. Is do you make a lot of small ones that can move, or just a few big ones that can't? Right. That's male versus female. So can we apply that definition to humans? No. Because if we applied that definition to humans, then postmenopausal women would no longer be considered female, right? Because they're not right. making any more gametes. What if uh, you have an injury? What if developmentally something doesn't work unrelated to your sex organs, but you're unable to make either egg or sperm for some other? There's a million other physiological components to that that are independent of the actual like sex determining genes and, and the actual process, right? There's other stuff. What if something there is not typical and that interrupts the process? Does that negate all the other factors? No, of course not. That's that's dumb. So like you can't reduce it just down to like which of these two specific cell types do you make? Right. And so as a running theme of what I'm sure I'll keep coming up over and over again, <laughs> what we're always told is this is a very it is a both very a simple. very simple definition and universally applicable. Mm -hmm. And Every time you're like, well, what about this? Well, that's an exception. Well, what about this? Well, that's an exception. Like, and individuals like Steve McRae will say, well, you can you can make it so that all of them fit. Like the individuals you said before who have an extra chromosome, you can just that that's just a, a a man with an extra chromosome, or that's just a woman with you know whatever, right? And it seems like you can you can just I mean, we, nature doesn't care what our labels are. We can call yeah. things whatever we want, oh, right? So, yeah. <laughs> So like humans can come along and put a slap a label on whatever we want if we want, but that doesn't like then you're either going to have a simple definition with a lot of exceptions and just be okay with that or an extremely complicated and arbitrary definition. Right, let's follow all the branches on the decision <laughs> right. tree, right? Where do you end up? And the funny thing with that approach is that once you get more complicated, it you start to have branches crossing on the decision tree and it doesn't there's no way to split it into two neat groups because you end up having all of these downstream factors that are usually correlated with each other but are often not correlated with each other and you end up with all these situations where one person might look at one set of factors and say well clearly this leads to this conclusion and a different person is considering a different set of factors and lands on a different conclusion. And to give you a specific example of that, you could have a situation where chromosomally, you have an individual that is uh, XX, say, right? Simple, female. Except there was a, a genetic event called a translocation. So that, that uh, SRY region from the Y chromosome is now actually attached to one of their two X chromosomes. Well, they have two X chromosomes, but they actually go down the developmental pathway of males then during embryonic development. So the organs uh, that could be ovaries or testes form into testes, right? So now it's more complicated than just 
what chromosomes do you have? Now there's this, uh, oh, well, it's this specific genetic component and that leads to this specific morphology. Okay, but what if this same individual has a completely separate genetic mutation resulting in a condition called androgen insensitivity? Androgens, broad term, are basically male determining sex hormones. So like testosterone is the most well-known, most everyone knows, you know, testosterone, that is an androgen, right? And you can have a condition where developmentally, uh, chromosomally, everything is pointing down that male developmental pathway, but you have a mutation or deficiency in the receptors that detect those male determining hormones. So now you're doing all this work upstream but downstream, that signal is not being received. So you end up doing the female developmental pattern anyway, despite all these upstream factors pointing to male. Well, where does that person land? Because now, according to all of these different factors that people will say, oh, it's the chromosomes, it's the SRY region, it's the hormones, all of those things are pointing to male in such an individual. But developmentally and morphologically, it's gonna, they're going to point to female. Right. And so someone who's looking at those factors is going to reach a different conclusion. And simple, this person, simple. This, this person would have lived their life presenting female. <clears throat> they would go through female puberty. They, in, all like, in all in likelihood, like, it depends on the degree of androgen insensitivity. There's partial androgen insensitivity, which also lead with often leads to intersex conditions. There's complete androgen insensitivity, which is basically that SRY region not existing all intents and purposes right gotcha. so it depends on the kind of subcategory of that occurrence is going to determine it and then of course intersex conditions are extremely varied and complicated in them in themselves right so you can't just have a third box and leave it at that right it doesn't work that way so is this so the statement by standard reason saying you know there's male x y female xx right that's clearly blatantly false at the start yeah, no just, and then, but even going backwards to male and female, like, is this just part of, cause you said there are like scientific definitions for male and female based on the, so first of all, I'm not very scientifically literate. So I'm, I'm one of your students here, but is this more of just like humans like to put things in nice, neat boxes. And so we uh -huh. just break them down and say, that's male, that's female. I can understand that and move mm -hmm. on. Yep, that's exactly what it is. At like so many things in biology, that's exactly what it is. And this is, uh, this is what makes biology my favorite because there's a saying uh, in the sciences is that um, physics has laws, chemistry has rules, and biology has exceptions. Because there are no <laughs> there are no rules in biology. There's no like there's nothing that you could say like it's A or B, and if X then A, and if Y then B, and you could there's nothing like that in biology. There's always 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 exceptions. To the rules and if you think there's a universal rule in biology like we will eventually find an exception to that rule and this is no different uh so we can define like as the the simplest technical definition of sex you have differentiated gametes you make the big ones or the little ones but it's not that simple because what about species where you have individuals that make both hermaphroditism is extremely common in biology you also have changes. There are species that will change sex, sometimes back and forth, depending on the population context. And my favorite example of this is uh, what I do is I ruin Finding Nemo for my students. <laughs> because the way 
uh, not just clownfish, but other types of fish work the way uh, many uh, fish work, is that the uh, in the absence of any females, and for anyone who hasn't seen Finding Nemo, starts with Mom is Gone, as so many movies do. Mom is Gone. Of course. Uh, I mean, if you right, ask so, both parents, are you even in the Disney movie? Yeah. Right, right. Well, I don't know this. I think Pixar, I don't know if it's Disney, but it's same well, that's vibes. That's true. That's, right? You're right. right. Yeah. But it's same same general vibes. So what happens normal, and it's so it's just Nemo and Nemo's dad. And like, that's it. There's nobody else. And in real life, what would have happened as the bigger of the two individuals, Nemo's dad would have transitioned to female and mated with Nemo. That's how that movie would have gone if it was biologically accurate. <laughs> I think that's probably a, a good artistic liberty to, to have taken. <laughs> to you know? not do it that way. Like, yeah. Accuracy in movies is great, but... You know. <laughs> yeah, we don't need that. Uh, there are other fish that do it exactly the opposite, where the whole population will be female, except the biggest one will be a male, and they'll basically release um, uh, male-suppressive pheromones to everybody else, and then when the biggest male is removed from the population, either they die or whatever the case is, right, then the females basically start to develop into males and the largest one gets there first and then suppresses all the other ones and they stay female. Uh, so it's so it's context dependent. It's how big are you? Are there other females? Right. What's what's the population situation? Um so yeah, you can't just look at other things and be like, well, it's simple in those. Clearly, we just apply those rules to humans. Really, which rules are we going to apply to humans? So it sounds like to a biologist, uh, having these labels with simple definitions is a useful kind of heuristic, like broad strokes, most people fit into male or female. And if you told a biologist, well, there's exceptions, the biologist's response would be, of course there are. Of course there are. Yeah, there better be. Otherwise, we're doing <laughs> something wrong. If there are no exceptions, then your boxes are too big. So gotcha. as to be useless, basically. Is, is, a, is a good rule of thumb in biology. If you're categorizing things and you have no exceptions to a simple categorization scheme, you're being too general. So you had, go, ahead. go ahead. You had mentioned earlier that some of these, uh, these genetic mutations and stuff were very pretty common. How common are we talking about here? Uh, if oh, you don't the know exactly. The yeah, number you know that, that yeah, uh, Stan to Reason gives for um, anatomical variations is what they call it is 0.05%. And that, that number in their article, which I I'll probably put in the description if you want to check it for whatever reason, uh, is people with born with ambiguous genitalia is how they define it. So, uh, just to give you a specific one real fast, uh, Kleinfelter syndrome, which is XXY, uh, that is one in five to 600 males is born wow. with an extra X chromosome. So oftentimes in Kleinfelter syndrome, uh, the individual will uh, be identifiable as and present as male. They may or may not be able to reproduce, um, but in terms of just like developmentally, morphologically, hormonally, they'll be male. Uh, oftentimes there will be a kind of higher than expected levels of like estrogen and other female determining hormones due to the dosage uh, kind of differences that occur with the second X chromosome. There are ways that like humans and other things compensate for that with having two versus one in the different sexes. Um, but you still find a little bit of an imbalance there uh, oftentimes. Um, and then oftentimes in puberty, individuals with Kleinfelter will start to develop some 
secondary female sex characteristics or like so breast development for example is fairly typical um this is all of course depending on the size of the x chromosome that is duplicated it could be a whole x chromosome or it could be just a fragment of the x chromosome right and that's going to so you get a lot of variation in here but it's like one out of every five or six hundred for that specific one and then there's a whole bunch of other chromosomal things that that are similar in nature so pretty so, common. Yeah, which is more common than they'd like to say. And again, just to emphasize what we said at the top, uh, the the argument that we hear all the time is it's binary, which means there can never, ever, ever be an exception. And it's simple. It's not, and it's simple. And it's, and it's, simple. it's, it's yeah. easy. It's not just binary, but it's really easy. Everybody can easily be put in this box or that box. And you, it sounds like at least for some of these, a person could be born presenting as one sex, but identifying as a gender that matches their sex given at birth and go through perhaps their entire life and never realize they had some characteristics from yep. the other sex. They just don't know and yep. never would never find out unless you dug into their, their genes. Absolutely. Yeah. Case. Yep. Yeah. That makes me think, you know, there's a lot of talk in the news and the media about fairness in sports, you know, and like having females play a male, male, female, but like, they're probably already having people on their team that don't necessarily fit the actual, you know, binary mm -hmm. definition they want. So like oh, we're already mixed, I, you know, <laughs> I can virtually guarantee that if, if they chose, for instance, to say, uh, we're going to do a genetic testing on every athlete. And if they're XX, they get to play with females and they're XY, right. they get to play males. They'll have some surprising results. There's going to be some surprises <laughs> yeah. if you do that analysis. And the other side of it is you often hear things like, percent body fat and muscle tone and levels of testosterone and all these kinds of things. But like, there are a lot of like males and females are not that different in those. So like, yeah, it's two different distributions in terms of the means, but they overlap mostly in terms of that stuff. So like, it, it, like, let's do, let's just like call it what it is. Right. The thing about like fairness in sports is just window dressing for bigotry. Like that's what that is. Yeah. That's all that yeah. is. It's BS. It's not, they don't actually care. Like these well, are the same people trying to like undermine title nine and all of a sudden they care. Like, give me a break. But yeah. Right? Uh, and this is not the topic of the episode, but I'm totally <laughs> here for it. Uh, like it's like, they want to say sports. It's all about fairness. Sports aren't fair now. Michael right, well, Phelps has genetic yeah. uh, Weird uh, mutations, right? Yeah, he's got he's, the long a, arms, the short legs. Yeah, that's he's not a You're typical member of the species. <laughs> right, like, right. Like, look at basketball players. They're tall. They get the big hand span. Like that makes you better at that inherently. And like, I, scrawny, six foot tall dude. Like, I shouldn't be able to compete on an even footing with LeBron James. Like, it's never just, gonna happen. No it's never gonna happen. Training, like, but... and if we're gonna do fairness, if you're if, like, if you genuinely care about the stuff in fairness in sports, then do it by like height classes or weight classes or whatever, right? But like, don't give me this BS about like nobody. You don't actually care. Yeah, I didn't mean to get a sidetrack there, but I thought it was interesting. Just like Happy the idea of, yeah, of the fact that <laughs> if we want to put things in the boxes and you want to go down this route of like, well, you're not male. Well, technically. Maybe there's a bunch of people on your team who aren't males. Uh, there's so. <laughs> going to be some surprises there. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. There's um I, I had an occasion to to talk about this topic with some um fundamentalist Christians. I'll say recently, even though it's not that recently anymore, it was, it was last year sometime, I think. And um I think one of the surprising moments in that conversation was when I explained, you know, either of you gentlemen 
might have one of these conditions in your genomes, a fragment of an X chromosome, a translocation of the, the, uh, the SRY region, you wouldn't know it unless you looked. Have you you wouldn't looked? necessarily yeah. know it. There are forms of it that don't have a detectable phenotype. So you have to look for it genetically. If you haven't looked for it, like, you don't know. So you're sitting there saying, well, XX is female, XY is male. Well, let's look at your chromosomes. Let's check everyone's chromosomes before the Olympics, right? Before every high school competition, <laughs> right? Like that's definitely what's important. Yeah. What are we doing here? Yeah. So we've uh, talked a lot about the incorrect view of sex that uh, religious fundamentalists and often conservatives have. How should we be thinking about it? Oh man, that's so. That's a really fun question. How should we be thinking about it? I think, and I. I want to say that there, I don't think there is one answer to that question that even like experts would agree with. And when I say that, I mean, people who are more like, not me, I mean, actual experts who study this specific thing. I don't think you're going to come up with an answer that all of them, eh, that's never going to happen, but like a lot, most, a majority, a plurality, you have a hard time crossing some of these thresholds. Um, so the way I think about it is that it's a multidimensional thing. And uh, you can almost think about it like a, you know, like a music mixing board, right? We have all the sliders and it's this factor, that factor, and they're typically correlated with each other, but they are very frequently not, right? They are either uncorrelated or they are anti-correlated in a way you would not necessarily expect, right? And um, if you want to pull up, the, pull up the slide that I use in class that we're sharing here. So this is actually a slide that I show in class because in a couple of my classes, this topic actually comes up. In particular, in uh, a class I teach, just kind of an intro level evolutionary biology class, one of the topics that is super fun to talk about is the evolution of sexual reproduction. And like, what does that process look like? What are the selective pressures? What's the game theory that gets you to not just uh, individuals kind of fusing and recombining, but male and female and those different strategies for doing it? And <clears throat> so we talk about sex determination in there. And this is a slide I use because it really illustrates this idea of bimodal rather than binary, but apply that logic across a bunch of different dimensions. So I have it broken out here, genes and chromosomes, which could really be separate, right? Because you could have X and Y chromosomes, but then you have the specific sex determining genes that can move around kind of independent of the chromosomes. So that first level there could really be it, you know, split out into two uh, hormones, obviously. Um, but you need to be able to detect the hormones in order to receive those signals. So the hormones, maybe the development is different from what you would think if you were to take a blood test and like, look at the hormones, maybe that doesn't match the development. Maybe, uh, the development and the morphology go together, but they don't match the chromosomes or the hormones or the genes for some reason, right? There's different ways this can vary. And then I always emphasize this because this is a really important thing that gets lost in this for humans and other things, there is a social component to sex determination. And I mean this very deliberately, I'm not conflating sex and gender here. There's a social component to sex determination. So you can have individuals that have, if you were to picture this as sliders and you could slide each, each thing to the right and the left, however you want to do, you could make whatever combination you want. You could have two individuals that have the same combination all the way down, then they get to identity and they end up in a different place, right? 
so there is a there is a non I don't want to say a non biological component to it because social interactions are part of our our you know human biology, but there is a non uh, like genetic or non physiological or non hormonal component to this that often gets lost, right? So you can have individuals that if you look at their chromosomes or their genes or their development or their morphology or whatever, they can land two different places in this bimodal distribution at the end of the day when it comes to what sex are you, right? Uh, so that's my not very short answer to the short question of how should we be thinking of this? And the answer is it's complicated, it's multidimensional, and there's no simple deterministic way to do it. You have to consider all of these individual factors, how they interact with each other, and the social component that's going to be layered on top of that. So uh, easy, easy. Yeah. Everyone fits Simple. in two boxes. Easy, too easy. Yeah. Uh, bimodal for those who may not be aware. When you so a binary distribution, which we already talked about, is a distribution where you've got two groups that are non-overlapping. You are if if you are not a you are B by definition, that's binary. A bimodal distribution is where you have two peaks, like two values that people group or people, whatever you're looking at things group around, but there can be values in the middle of those two groupings that are, you know, combinations of the two. Now, this is, I think, thought of better thought of as like, we're not saying that you could like apply some statistical like calculation and like that's not what we're saying it's just like a tool to think so about a way to think about it visually. a way to, yeah, yeah a way to visualize this kind of thing would be to picture yes. you've got a male peak and a female peak and then some stuff in the middle that's uh, one maybe the other you know right you've got yeah it's it's a it's a distribution where you've got ma you know male all the way over here female all the way over here and anybody can fall anywhere on that spectrum most people are going to cluster to one side or the other. You've got this big region in between where you've got a, you know, a statistically very significant number of people somewhere right. in there that don't neatly cluster with the, you know, the typical grouping. I mean, See, even I, if it's 0.1%, we're still talking about millions of people. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yep. So I, I can see where there's some potential pitfalls or, um, traps with this kind of thinking because it still implies that on the far right and far left we have male and female and those are the correct you know sexes and everything else in the middle is just like a mistake uh and i that's could see somebody hear. easily doing that right mm -hmm. oh yeah right. that's exactly one that you hear is well you've got two categories and then you have mistakes um i mean i think that's tremendously offensive <laughs> well, yeah. Like, I mean, you're taught, you're, you're taught, you're calling, I mean, let's see, there's, there's eight, there's 8 billion ish people in the world. Right. And the rate of, uh, just you lump all intersex conditions together. And I forget the number off the top of my head. Um, but it's in the low single digits percents. Like it's like one point something percent. And that's a relatively conservative measure. Uh, there are estimates I've read that get you up into like the mid single digit percentages. So like, you know, you're looking at a world population of 8 billion people. Now you're saying several hundred million are like, well, you're a mess up. Yeah. Like, do, like, why do we even need to entertain that as like a reasonable thing to like propose as a way the world is? That's ridiculous. Right. Which is why I think it's important to choose our terms. I usually say typical. Just because it doesn't have a, a judgment on it, you yeah. know, like if we say these are male typical 
Like if we're going to assign male characteristics and if they're male, they typically have most of these things. Mm -hmm. If they're female, they typically have most of these things, but you could be a female and have not all of them or none of them. And you could have female and like, if we're, if we're bringing gender into it, which we're not, but uh, you know, yeah. So yeah, it's typical is a really good word because it's a statistical description rather than a, a judgment, right. A judgment thing there's like there's a value statement associated with the word normal that isn't there right. with typical so yeah i'm always i've i've you know taught myself i've 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 kicked normal out of my vocabulary for class <laughs> i always use typical right for when we're talking about all these kinds of things yeah and tons of other things too uh it's always always typical it's a good which word. uh another charge that's often lit uh leveled is that well these woke biologists are trying to <laughs> throw away male and female like it doesn't exist we're not using it anymore and i don't think we're doing that either right it's still a useful label it's it's extremely useful and especially in the context that like biologists are talking about these things in you know when you're looking at the biology of sex determination and reproductive strategies and kind of the broad kind of uh term for this stuff it's called life history traits you know, how often do you reproduce? At what age do you reproduce? How many gametes do you make? How many kids do you have? Like all that stuff. Male and female is super useful for describing the evolution of those traits, right? And it, it it's one of my favorite things to talk about in class because it reduces down to game theory and like your likelihood of, of having viable offspring based on the energy you put into each individual gamete and the likelihood that it survives. And you can do the math on this. And one of the conditions that satisfies the game theory is male and female. So it is an extremely useful thing in terms of describing kind of the origins of sexual reproductive systems in lots of different types of organisms. Um, But when we're talking about like humans, because we have this, uh, you know, humans are complicated. When it comes to sex determination, so are a lot of other things. But like humans, we, we have frontal lobes and that's really cool, but it also allows us to overthink everything. And like, you just don't have to overthink it. It's useful, but there are lots of exceptions to that. And right. we can just be okay with that as the field of biology and like be comfortable with that level of complexity and not have to put everything into one of two boxes. And this is like, this is not a new thing, like in human society in general. Uh, you know, there have been go back as far as you want to go. There's always something, some some subset of society that is different from typical male and female. You go back to ancient societies, you've got records of this. There was a Roman emperor who uh, had this emperor existed now. They would be either probably be based on the records we have be classified as either intersex or trans or non-binary of some like this is not a new thing. We're not just like. Scientists didn't get woke 15 years ago and now like start doing this. This is not, we didn't do this specifically to piss off Richard Dawkins, right? Like this is not a new thing. That's just a fun benefit. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I think if you told like, even if you could go back in times like, Hey, we're going to make up this label and it'll cover 98% of people. I think it would be like, great. Like sounds useful, you know? And uh, really that's what I've, I, I think, anyone who watches this should walk away with is nobody is saying that male and female are useless labels. Nobody is trying to say that most humans are not male or not female. Like that, that's all ridiculous. Like if you can still go through your life and understand that humans 
are generally male and generally or generally female, and that covers most things. As long as you understand, most does not equal all. That's all you have to understand. You have a rule, it. but it doesn't cover everybody, and that's fine. And that's it. Yeah. Simple. That Finally. now that is simple. So it seems like you've really got. You can either have a simple label that's useful, and just accept that it's you know it's fuzzy. Biology is messy. You know whatever. It's our label applied to nature, not nature's label. Or you can like try to get super legalistic because it's you know you you can't oppress people if you don't have a good label. So you know, <laughs> yeah, gotta I have a them I, right. Gotta I have can't a them. Think I cannot think of a legitimate reason to be so wrapped around the axle about this labeling system. Like I can't think of a good, not Jordan. Yeah. Have you considered that it makes some people feel icky? That's true. I did not consider that. And, uh, I think that it's true. We, we don't, we wouldn't want certain people who look like me to feel icky at any time. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. Because things are so complicated in this topic, and typically I'm not a biologist and I ha I'm not well versed in this, is there a place where we can direct people to go or something if we're having a conversation with somebody and they say, well, there's only two sexes, male and female, and it's binary. And I go, nah, -uh. and then they go, well, explain it to me. And I'm like, uh, I can't like, I'm not, I'm gonna have a hard time, you know, educating people on that sort of thing. And I think maybe that's why some of this stuff gets perpetuated is because it's hard for people to explain. Mm -hmm. uh, and so like, and if, if I'm arguing with somebody or having a conversation with somebody and I can't explain it, well, then they're just going to hold on to their position and not be convinced otherwise. So I am, as we, as we talk about this, I am looking up a specific episode of a podcast called uh why is this happening it's chris hayes podcast and it's excellent and he has done um a number of episodes on uh kind of trans issues and just general sex rights and just the whole the whole kind of thing and the, the focused on kind of the legislation and the the ongoing kind of campaigns of oppression that are going on um but he has done a couple of really good episodes on kind of topics specifically related to this. And um, it actually, a couple of years ago, I happened to, one of, some of them are older, some of them are newer. And um, they've really helped kind of inform me on this stuff and then kind of given me places to look for more detail. So I don't have those episodes at my fingertips, but we'll I can, I can send you those links and they can go down in the description and i encourage everyone to listen to those episodes they are really really good um the one that i'm thinking of off the top of my head is with a doctor who uh is trans and they provide healthcare to transitioning youth and so they kind of get into a lot of this stuff with sex determination and the difference between the chromosomes and the follow like it kind of gets into some of the complexities in a very accessible way um mm -hmm. so there's a few episodes on that and I, I i that's a really good resource um i can't think of any others off the top of my head and i should know of a few more 
and I have probably things in my bookmarks if I look, but I just can't think of like where they are. It's the kind of thing where it's like, oh, this is really useful. Bookmark it. And then I don't know like where it was. Or and it goes into a void and it's never seen again. <laughs> well, yeah. no, it's the kind of stuff I use. And like, I'll pull it for, for like, for making the slides that I use for class. But then it's just like, if you ask me like whose blog it was on, like I couldn't tell you in a million years, but I have it in there. It's uh, it's the old, it's the old internet. You know where to find it, not the information itself problem. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I can provide some of those resources so that you can link them. Well, thank you. Because that would be so useful. all those links will be in the description. Quick summary to make sure that I understood what we said. Uh, the answer to how sex is determined is it's complicated. Uh, there are sets of rules. Men typically have XY chromosomes. Women typically have XX. And they have other a whole suite of other features that are typical. We're talking about humans now. But... They not every individual in the species will share all of those characteristics, and that's fine. Some people will be unambiguous and like so you'll have male, female, and other, and that's cool too. It's a label that fits most but not all people, and you just have to be comfortable with that. That's pretty much it. Yep. Great. And then on top of that, like as a whole other thing, you can add gender identity, which we're not going to get into in this episode. But like, if you like, so this is how the how complicated the biology is. Probably the thing you thought was simple is actually very complicated when you open people up, and now add on gender identity, which I don't think anybody thinks is simple. And like, you know, and and then you can be on either side of of that, both of those spectrums to combine. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yep. Great. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to break down the biology for us. Uh, uh, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you and what's coming up? You can find me on the YouTube channel Creation Myths. Uh, and on Twitter, you can find me under uh, The Evolutionist. That's E-V-I-L-utionist. The Evolutionist. All one word, straight through. And um, what do I have coming up? I, you know, I can't promise anything. I should stop just promising things i've i've actually <laughs> been doing um more like collaborative things uh so like this which is great because it means somebody else does most of the groundwork uh and that's the time consuming <laughs> part uh that i that i seem to have less and less of as time goes on um but so i i in my defense for having the lack of original content uh lately is that um creationism ha has a finite number of things that they say, and then they find ways to recycle them to make it seem new, but it's actually not. So on like a five-year cycle, you run through everything. And so I've right. covered a lot of the big things. So right now, the big benefit from my channel is that for any major claim that like the big creationist organizations are going to make, whether it's AIG or CMI or Discovery Institute or whoever it is, uh, you can find, I've probably done a video on it and why it's ridiculous. Um, and like that explanation isn't going to change. Uh, and as new stuff comes out, I'll do, I'll cover those things, but like there just isn't as much new things. So the rate slows down. Uh, but I will also say that my interviews with professional creationists are, uh, have been very informative in terms of elucidating some of the complexities of their views or lack thereof. Uh, so I encourage people to watch those because those are, those are the really fun things. Well, hopefully the rate would eventually go to zero. That'd be the ideal situation. Right. And then I, Ideally, I'll just cover everything, and then it's just an archive of why creationists are wrong, and then we're good. Yeah, mission accomplished, <laughs> right? There you go. 
Well, thanks for making it all the way to the end of the video. Uh, as always, if you make it to the end, you get a fallacy or bias of the day. Today, we're doing a fallacy again. So today's fallacy of the day is black and white, the black and white fallacy, the otherwise known as like the either or fallacy or the false dichotomy. And so this fallacy happens when you say that things are either A or B, but in fact, they are not A or B. They could be C or D or anything else, or maybe not even A or B at all, right? Uh, and so it's super common. Uh, it's an extremely common rhetorical tool because you want to put your opponent into a box or whatever, um, or you you know people like simple things, right? Simple is convincing and easy for our monkey brains, and so like people want to say it's it's male or female, or it's you know Republican or Democrat or whatever you want to say, right? Yeah. Uh, how do you avoid this? Well, just don't do that. Just just don't right like accept that the world is complicated and don't try to uh, artificially impose dichotomies on things sometimes there are dichotomies there can be true dichotomies right so it's not always fallacious to say it's either a or b sometimes it is in fact uh, one true true dichotomy would be everything in the universe is either a potato or not a potato that is there a true dichotomy so uh but just before if, you, if you're gonna say everything is x or y Maybe just pause for a second to see if there's anything else, you know, and and if there or is X, X or X, Y. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. OK, so there's your fallacy. Uh, go over to Dan's channel. It's really great. Like I said, highly recommend subscribing there and also uh, also subscribe here words so that you can see all the cool stuff we do. And until next time, remember, you've always got reason to doubt. Peace out.